Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Roger Trader has supported Independent Tech News directly for five years. Be like Roger. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, March 22nd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Spring has sprung in Cleveland. I'm Len Peralta. And I'm the show's producer, the other Roger, Jay. <laughs> uh, also joining us, we're very excited to have Trisha Hirschberger, gaming and tech host, back on the show. Trisha, welcome back. Yay, thank you so much for having me. It's been too long. It has been, but it's the perfect week because we had a game developers conference jam-packed with cool announcements this week. Oh, yeah. We are going to talk about game streaming a little later on, particularly uh, all of the options, not just Google Stadia and how they compare. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. Intel confirmed it will not develop new compute cards going forward. Launched back in 2017, Compute Card offered a swappable CPU, RAM, and storage in a credit card-sized package and were aimed at point-of-sale and all-in-one devices. The company will support and sell existing Compute Card products, though, through the end of this year. Mark Gurman reports that Vox Media has signed on as a partner for Apple's forthcoming and uh, yet-to-be-announced subscription news service. We expect to hear about that Monday. Uh, Bloomberg sources say that content from Vox.com will be available on the service at launch, while other Vox Media properties like The Verge, SB Nation, and Eater will not be offered initially. The Guardian reports a court filing by Washington, D.C.'s Attorney General's office that says Facebook admitted it suspected Cambridge Analytica of improper data gathering practices as early as September of 2015. That's two whole months before The Guardian first reported on it in December of 2015. The filing was an objection to Facebook's request to seal an email exchange between company senior managers. Facebook said that the emails referred to unrelated suspicions rather, about Cambridge Analytica scraping data, not the information gathered by Professor Alexander Kogan that was shared with Cambridge Analytica without permission. And India's Unified Payments Interface, or UPI, has led to a boom in payment options in India, with about a trillion rupees worth of transactions going through it as of December. Uh, Paytm, PhonePay, Google, Amazon, WhatsApp, Xiaomi, they've all joined UPI. And now Entracker reports that Tencent's WeChat Pay may launch a UPI-enabled payments app in India by the end of either May or June. All right, let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, heart disease and hacking. 
Yeah. Uh, The Department of Homeland Security issued an alert on Thursday that researchers from security firm called Clever Security discovered 750,000 Medtronic defibrillators and bedside monitors were vulnerable to two separate exploits that could harm patients. One vulnerability would allow malicious actors to read patient data, which is not encrypted on the device. The other allows a man in the middle attack to intercept and alter device settings, communicating from an at-home monitor to the defibrillator, which doesn't use any formal authentication. Now, according to Medtronic's chief medical officer, Robert Cowell, attackers would need to be within 20 feet of the device, so it would have to be somewhat specific in order to much damage. No recall is expected and a software patch is forthcoming. Now, here's the thing. Uh, This is both horrible and probably not that big of a deal for most people at the same time because these attacks can allow someone to rewrite the entire firmware. So Medtronic is trying to play this down by saying reasonably, somebody would have to be, you know, really motivated to do this, know you had one and be within 20 feet of you, which means that the risk of this happening to any given person is pretty low. But at the same time, they're not fixing the lack of authentication and encryption because adding those steps does reduce the battery life of the implant, which is a concern. And so it is still something that could happen. And when you're talking about something that is connected to your heart, uh, I would like to have as much security as possible, I think. Yeah, yeah. I tried to get as paranoid as possible when I first read the story this morning. Like, okay, this would be like, a, I don't know, a, a, some sort of, a, you know, it, it, in wartime, could, could, could you, could you, hack a bunch of defibrillators and hurt a bunch of people at the same time. You know, mm. if, if, if that was something that you were motivated to do, you know, I'm tr- I was trying to think of worst case scenarios and for the most part. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of one of those like, Ooh, that would be, that would be pretty terrible. Or somebody targeted who was... assassinations, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this it's like going to be yeah. in the next John wick. Right. So, <laughs> could... so, so yeah, the, the, you know, the capabilities are, are sort of scary, but yes, the, the carrying out of anything that would be of harm to somebody seems pretty slim i mean would it be something where you could just wear like a lead lined apparel like a vest and then that just neutralizes that i suppose that would be a way to mitigate it uh you wouldn't get the heart monitoring function that that you get otherwise but when you're ready to to read the the heart monitor you could you could then just take the lead vest off Hmm. interesting thought yeah I don't know. I think it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm like picturing someone that really wants to do some harm, like going into a hospital and just seeing with a 20 foot radius, you know, mm-hmm. how many people they could take out. Um, but because it's something like you said, it's on your heart, it's in your body. So of course, you want that to be as secure as possible. But of course, yes, the likelihood of it happening is very slim. Scientists from the University of Washington and Microsoft published research in Nature Scientific Reports describing an automated system that can turn digital bits of information into coded DNA molecules for storage and then convert the molecules back into bits as needed. Uh, This has been done before with people running around in a lab with pipettes, but now they've automated it, which makes it much more practical. Uh, The encoded word, hello... Uh, was done in strands of DNA and then successfully read back out. Uh, If you're curious, hello was coded as T-C-A-A-C-A-T-G-A-T-G-A-G-T in in the DNA uh, enzymes. The system's big advance was being automated. Software translated information to DNA code, which was sent to a synthesizer that combined the chemicals and liquids to output the DNA molecules and then to read the DNA, it was drawn back into an apparatus, more chemicals added, and then automatically pushed through a a nanopore DNA sequencing machine that automatically converted that to binary. The density of DNA storage 
could mean, if they're able to scale this and make it even more practical, that you could store an exabyte of information in a cubic inch. Let that sink in for a second. The researchers are also developing digital microfluidic devices called Purple Drop uh, that would allow you to manipulate more data and an operating system called Puddle uh, that, that could be able to read and write data. Researchers at Caltech and UC Davis this week also published a paper describing a data processing system that uses self-assembling DNA to run algorithms. So these are all early days, but big advances pointing to the idea that, hey, it you know, uh, for storage, we may be using DNA at some point. I had to read the story like 12 times. The first time I read it, I was like, what? <laughs> the second time I was like, okay, so it's like a zip file. Interesting. Literally. But we're using zipping DNA. Up the DNA. I like yeah, that. exactly. And, and, and now, yeah, the, the, the exabyte in a cubic inch, that did have to sink in for yeah. a minute, you know, because it's like, that's crazy. However, it's, extremely cool and i i'm i I was quite floored by the story actually trisha are you ready for dna computing (laughs) no it makes me feel like we are one step closer to neuromancer becoming a reality (laughs) like we're you know we're getting there and I'm, i'm all about kind of cyborg modification type uh type technology but it's so crazy to me that, you know, we're there and this is a real thing that's happening. Well, and that's the interesting thing. Right now, this isn't living material. You wouldn't create actual molecules out of it. But that that is kind of a side project. One would be like, well, but what what if I could, you know, what if I could store files and then, yeah, then create molecules as they read the data out of the files? There's all kinds of places that you're imagining. It's like the new bio. Yeah. Read my DNA, man, if you can. <laughs> I, pretty stored, cool. I stored my private key <laughs> in my finger, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you're not a scientist, too bad for you. Uh, Sony announced a new State of Play live stream that's coming March 25th. Interesting day to choose, but okay. At 5 p.m. <laughs> Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, at Twitter, and Facebook to show game trailers and announce new games as well. Sony says it will run more state of play streams later in 2019. Yeah, so it's it's later in the day than the Apple announcement, uh, but it is it's not really counter programming, I guess. Interesting here, though, Tricia, that that Sony is taking the Nintendo route uh, as they're no longer going to be at E3 to just say we want to announce directly to the fans. Yeah, I think that they've seen a lot of success in that Nintendo route where people look forward to the next Nintendo Direct. You can get alerts on your Google Calendar to tell you when it's coming. People get hyped, then it's trending on Twitter that day. And having that happen multiple times throughout the year obviously is a big benefit for Nintendo as opposed to Sony sticking to the more traditional method and doing the one big or few big shows a year. Yeah, I... I the first thing I thought when I saw this is, okay, if you're, if you've got a PS4 and you're playing PS4 games, you're going to care about this. You're going to want to know what the new game announcements are uh, and PSVR announcements and all of that. But they, they didn't tease anything big here. Do you think they will do hardware announcements on this stream? Ooh, I, I don't think so. Like my guess is no. I think probably what we're going to see is a lot of new title announcements, maybe some new exclusives coming up, which Sony's been knocking it out of the ballpark with exclusives. So people will want to tune in for that, even if you're not necessarily a Sony gamer as your primary console. Um, I mean, for me, even as primarily a PC gamer, I'm still paying attention to what Sony's doing because their exclusives have been killing it. I mean, if you look at the game of the year nominations, it's 
what was it last year? I forget even, but three or four Sony exclusive mm-hmm. nominations that are in there between God of War and Spider-Man and, you know, that they're doing very, very well. So I think the entire industry will pay attention to this. And if this turns out to be, uh, if this, yeah, if this turns out to be a really big deal, then people are going to start paying attention. And I think Sony will get that additional trending and additional attention that they want. Yeah. And maybe hardware announcements are in a future version of this down the road, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Although I don't know what those are going to be. Uh, Open Signal did a study to compare 4G LTE advanced speeds from AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Sprint. This is what Open Signal do- does. Uh, they're very good at sort of measuring how fast the different services are. LTE advanced is branded as 5GE by AT&T, though, because AT&T says that it can achieve 5G-like speeds, even though it's technically 4G LTE advanced. So a lot more people paying attention to this particular report. After comparing user-initiated speed tests from more than 1 million devices, OpenSignal found that Verizon had the fastest average speed at 29.9 megabits per second. T-Mobile came in second at 29.4 megabits per second. And AT&T third at 28.8 megabits per second. Uh, Sprint landed fourth with 20.4 megabits per second. Now, OpenSignal said the top three carriers all showed a 60% speed boost for their LTE advanced implementations over their previous LTE services. So it's worth saying these are definitely faster than the other service you used to get on LTE. AT&T, however, objected uh, to the test, saying... The speed test relied on devices capable of what they call 5GE, not whether the device was actually receiving what they call 5GE service, which could be an explanation of why Sprint had such a lower average speed. You may have had more 5 or LTE advanced capable devices, but not having access to Sprint's LTE advanced service because it may not be as widely rolled out. But the fact of the matter is LTE advanced on T-Mobile and on Verizon pretty much about the same as AT&T, whether it's called LTE Advanced or 5GE. Man, am I the only one who does not really care what we call the stuff as long as we are going in the direction of things being faster? No, you're not. I It bugs me and other people because it's going to fool folks into thinking, oh, but if I get that, I'll be getting the fastest one available because it says five, not four. Yes, not I'm true. there with you. I'm there with you 100% that, yeah, people think that 5G is just the next faster version of 4G when it's, in fact, a completely different technology. And it just causes endless confusion for us on the show to be like, well, this is 5GE, but it's not really 5G. It's LTE <laughs> yeah. Advanced. It's a personal well, okay, thing, so, well, what are our thoughts on AT&T saying, well, hold on a second. This was this should have been about the devices that are capable of what we're calling 5GE, not the receiving end of 5GE. Listen, if if there were a significant difference here, then maybe. Uh, but m- my guess is if they said, all right, we will only measure the phones that were receiving 5GE, yes, the overall speed boost would be up, but I still think it would be about the same as T-Mobile and Verizon. It might even be worse for AT&T if, if you got that number. I don't think it would material make materially make a difference here. And what OpenSignal defends themselves by saying is we're giving customers an idea of what their experience will be. Uh, and the experience yeah. will not be to always just be on the LTE advanced network. They'll, they'll be hopping from one to another. Well, Trisha, you mentioned some exclusives. And The Verge reports that Epic Games Store chief Steve Allison says that the company doesn't plan to do exclusives forever, though they will do it for a while. 
He added, quote, we will at some point go to zero or very, very few exclusives per year. Definitely not going to be doing it at the scale we're doing now. So that's nice and vague, but seems like there's 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 some movement in the the decreasing of exclusives at Epic. Yeah, there's movement because they're getting a lot of backlash from PC gamers that may not trust the Epic Games Store just yet or want to put their all into owning games via that. And especially because there's been confusion about games uh, being advertised on Steam Mm. um, and being able to take pre-orders on Steam and then being pulled off of the Steam Store because Epic has gotten the exclusive rights and there being confusion there. So I think in general, people are a little crotchety that instead of just going to one store like they used to, everyone, you know, that was the way to go. Now there's origin store now you know epic has a store how many different stores do we need blizzard has its store how many different stores do we need to get our pc games and i think that's where they're feeling frustration from people but on the other hand the exclusives are kind of a smart business move in the beginning outside of that pc backlash because i i don't play fortnite so i have zero reason to download the epic and the epic store and go through the epic store except for the fact that control remedy's new game is coming through them and i really want control so guess i'm gonna have to get it because of that exclusive how do you guys feel yeah i i go back and forth like i'm i'm more on the side of i don't think it matters as much uh first of all you know as someone who plays games on multiple platforms i'm used to it with consoles and even this kind of exclusivity is better on the PC platform than on the console. On the console, if it's exclusive to Xbox, I cannot play it on my PS4 at all. With this, if it's exclusive to Epic, I can still play it on my PC. I just have to download some other software. And granted, that's annoying. And maybe I don't want to have to start another account because maybe I don't trust all of these companies are going to guard my data. I get that. Those are valid objections. But to me, it's not as bad as like you, you have to buy a whole new piece of hardware to play it. Yeah, it's definitely having better than having to buy into different hardware for sure. Um, I know that there were some concerns from players about Epic's tie to the Chinese government, I believe, and worried about yeah, uh, some, data. I feel like that's FUD, though. I mean, Tencent is an investor in uh, Epic. It's also an investor in Reddit. It's also an investor in most of the movie companies in the United States. It's an investor in a lot of things. Tencent having a minority stake in something uh, gives it zero influence over that thing. So I, I feel like that's just people who are upset with the exclusivity trying to throw more shade on Epic. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. All right, let's talk about Google Stadia. Uh, also Microsoft Project X Cloud, uh, PlayStation Now, uh, NVIDIA GeForce Now, uh, Blade Shadow. All of these streaming services are either out or on the way. Uh, Trisha, can you help us make some sense of this? Because I think a lot of people are concerned of whether this is going to work. And if it does, is it going to get rid of the ability to control what games you have? Because you have to subscribe to a bunch of services like you do for streaming video. Yeah, I mean, I think the hope is that a lot of the major AAA games will be offered on all of these. So you won't have to subscribe to all the different streaming services. Now, that being said, as we've seen with television and Netflix and Hulu, their exclusives are what draw people to their specific platform. I think right now the conversation centers more around the tech of each platform and whose tech is going to make this a reality. And I say that because we've seen Valve do things over your home network, even through Steam Link and the Steam Machines, where people, even on your home network, were experiencing enough lag 
that the games weren't really playable. Um, NVIDIA has had GeForce now out since 2015 in beta, uh, you know, claiming up to 1080p at 60 frames per second gameplay. And while I've seen it work in closed demos at CES and, you know, in specific press suites, I don't know anyone that's tried it out in the wild, if you will, and had a good experience there. But however, I feel like if anybody can do it, Google stands a chance to do it. The Project Stream Beta impressed a lot of people, but I think we're so beholden to individual internet service providers and individual up and down speeds that who knows if this will actually work in practice. Well, and and that's the thing. There's lots of ways for this stuff to go wrong. Even in your home network, there's lots of ways to go wrong. So I get the perspective of how could they make this work? It's never going to be as good. And, And technically, just because of the speed of light, it never can be as good, uh, but it can probably be good enough for most of us to not notice if we're if we're not especially like competitive esports professionals. Whether they will or not seems to be the big area of debate. And what I see in the loads of people that are writing into our show talking about this is the folks who have NVIDIA GeForce Now, the folks who have a shield, the folks who have Blade Shadow Service say, it's great. I use it. It works. The folks who don't have those services are the ones who are like, how can it possibly work? I'm skeptical. I'm not (laughs) sure this is going to really go down the way it should. Well, that's great to hear. (laughs) I would love to see this work. I mean, the the idealistic future that is the ability to play all of the major games and all their high res, beautiful glory on any device we want and to be able to stop playing a game at home at my gaming PC and then pick it up on my phone at the bus stop, you know, 15 minutes later, right where I left off or some of the things Stadia was sharing about um, state share and crowd play mm-hmm. as someone who streams, it would be great if the process of streaming and having viewers join my game live was simplified. These are all wonderful things. Um, but I think with a lot of the major services where we're still hung up is the details. How are game devs going to be compensated? I mean, if we look at what Google has done before with YouTube and YouTubers, that doesn't show a great record of supporting content creators monetarily. So if that plays over to the game dev side of it, then that's that raises a lot of questions and concerns there. Um, so I think it's not only in, you know, the speed and the tech and the infrastructure can that deliver, but also just what is this going to look like? Are we buying individual titles or are we doing a more Netflix model where we pay monthly and get access to all the titles? Are there tiered models? What is What are the ownership rights look like? All of these things are still very up in the air. And I think until we get some answers on that front, a lot of people are going to be skeptical. Yeah, I. my guess is if something trips up Google Stadia, it's not going to be the technology. Google's pretty good at that stuff. And I don't think they would come out with this if they had doubts. Uh, But everything you just said about compensation and how is it going to pay and what titles are going to be available is where it could go horribly wrong and is the kind of thing that, as as you pointed out, Google has has a track record of not always getting that kind of stuff right. I got the impression from the Stadia announcement that you had to develop your game for this platform because it's not just emulating Windows like like Shadow. Uh, it's it's a whole platform that you have to either port your game to or develop it for. And I even got the impression that they really want people to develop it for Stadia. Uh, did you have that impression? And what what did you think about that? 
You know, uh, I, I didn't get that impression that you would have to develop it specifically for Stadia, mostly because they were touting Ubisoft so much and Assassin's Creed Odyssey as being this big one. Um, so, I mean, if Ubisoft did completely port their game just for Stadia, then that's huge. I thought that they were showing that specifically to say, you know, this we know this is an intense game to run on any system and look how well ours does it. Kind of Got saying it. anything that you're having trouble running, maybe on your home PC or whatever generation console you currently have, we're going to take that load off your back and take care of it for you, boasting 4K HDR 60 frames per second and up to 8K in the near future. I felt like that's where they were going for that. But I, I mean, it could definitely be that you have to develop it just for Stadia. And I think that would be a major setback if that were the case. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. Uh, and and I think I think you you paid closer attention than I did, to be honest. So I, I think you you probably are. There may be some more virtualization going on. Or maybe it's just super easy to bring over a game uh, for Stadia and run it on that platform. That brings me to the idea of having you know, Project X Cloud, whatever it ends up being called uh, mm-hmm. out there next to uh, Google Stadia and PlayStation Now. And assuming Sony uh, gets into this game a little in a little different way or tries to be more widespread, you know, is this going to not supplant? I don't think it ever supplants physical discs even. Uh, but will this become the dominant way people play? Could you see that? It might be. I mean, a lot of the conversation right now in the PC building world is all about building with games in mind. Can this run a specific game? There's obviously, you know, like CAD programs and the people that are building for that as well. And having the streaming services aim towards that, like I believe Blade is, is really fascinating in this whole discussion. But I think for the most part, people just want to know, can I run my game with the hardware I have? And taking that expense off people's plate of needing the hardware or needing the expertise to put the hardware together or whatever it may be, I think that's a really exciting value proposition for people. And if one of these companies can deliver on that in the way that's promised, I don't know that people are going to hang on to their concerns so much of, no, I need my physical game. I need the ownership. I think that they might, you know, in the short term cost saving of going streaming versus buying a new console or putting together a new gaming PC, I think that's going to be attractive to a lot of people. Now, of course, there will be your enthusiasts and your diehards that need the physical media and want to put together their own RGB spectacular gaming PC. Uh, But I, I think that for the most part, we will see a culture shift there. I think it would be really clever if one of these services, uh, emphasized portability. I know I know Google said that they would support cross-platform play as as long as the other platforms supported it too. Uh but what if what if they said uh we will we will give you, you know, something like uh, movies anywhere for games. So once you buy a game on Google Stadia, you could go to Microsoft Project X Cloud and play it there too. Oh, that would be really interesting. Yeah, I would love to see something like that. I um I I think X Cloud is is the closest to teasing something like that right now because Microsoft has the benefit of having the PC gamers and the Xbox gamers. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to enjoy various titles across all of that. And uh, I mean, they already pretty much have that going between Microsoft exclusives as as far as owning them on the Microsoft store and owning them on your Xbox. So uh, we'll see that that would be an interesting way to go. And I think that's the dream we all want, right? We want to be able to play any of our games in whatever our preferred format 
is. Um, so for me, it's PC, but for my friend over there, it might be Switch. And for you, it might be mobile. And, you know, who knows? But being able to own it once and then have it across all of your devices would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, imagine uh, only being concerned with your screen and your controller and everything yeah. and the, the device in between the service does wouldn't matter that that'd be amazing uh before we wrap up though one 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 quick uh question about this rumor uh gama Sutra reporting that apparently walmart is interested in setting up its own gaming streaming platform what do you make of that oh that's so crazy my my head exploded when i read that headline <laughs> um it doesn't surprise me that a major corporation like walmart would be trying to get into that but at the same time everything in my body just rejects it <laughs> Everything in me is like, ugh, no, don't. But I'm not shocked. Walmart is your streaming place now. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Would you get Walmart streaming you know, if it proved to be great enough? When I think about Walmart, I have the exact same response. We're like, that's just too weird. But when I think about the fact that Walmart owns Voodoo, the game streaming service, mm-hmm. maybe there's some tech synergy there where they could they could partner with somebody uh to to do a legitimate streaming service it's a long way to go from video streaming to game streaming uh so i'd want to know who else was involved with that but i i I could see it as a logical outgrowth of the voodoo business yeah i guess the more competition there is in the video game streaming space the better it is for the consumer hopefully they'll they'll fight it out and give us a better product in the end yeah yeah Hey, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. If you hang out on Facebook, join our group, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. What's in the mailbag, Sarah? Well, you know, what's funny. Uh, as Trisha was talking, I was like, she's kind of reading Nick's brain who wrote in and said, as I've gotten a little older and wiser, I've begun to hate exclusives. Why can't I play what I want on any device I want? In my case, a powerful PC. I'm really happy to have Microsoft putting their exclusives on Steam and the Switch in addition to the Xbox and Microsoft Store. I want Sony and Nintendo to follow suit with their exclusives. Why should I have to own a device for every company to play their games in 2019? However, on the PC, we have the issue of EA and Activision Blizzard only selling their games through their proprietary game store, which forces you to use a store you might not be comfortable with. Now, Epic. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. 
What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Because not only providing Fortnite Fortnite exclusively through their store, but also making deals for other companies' games to be exclusive in their store. I want to be able to buy what I want from any store I feel best serves my needs, and Epic's practices are making them harder. On the other hand, though I actually like the curated approach of Epic, if I'm looking for a new game on Steam, I feel like I have to wade through a sea of low-quality garbage to find a gem of a game. If I'm able to make that gem at all, it would be able, I, w- I want to be able to easily find the next cool game that is worth my time and money. It's no good having a cool game under a pile of 99-cent games that somebody in a basement threw together <laughs> in an hour to try and game the system. Nick is fired up, you can tell. Nick says, in summary, so yeah, I both like and hate Epic at the moment. Hopefully they listen to feedback and make a story I can fully support. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, and uh, thanks to everybody who writes in. Uh, we, we love reading your emails. We don't have time to read all of them necessarily on the show, but we do take them to account. And now we will check in with Len Peralta, who has been busily illustrating today's episode. Len, what have you drawn for us today? Yeah, you know, I'm really excited about the future of gaming and how Stadia is going to change it. The streaming services seem really excited. And so <laughs> I decided to draw it and see uh, what I think, uh, how I think Stadia will change the future of gaming. Uh, this actually is a is actually a cartoon sort of based on my son, who uh, I think is uh, is stuck to his, his chair most of the time. <laughs> so before Stadia, uh, obviously there's a console. After Stadia, uh, the only thing that's changed is he's still sitting there with so his headphones on. So he's in exactly on. the same position. He's changed his T-shirt though. <laughs> changed his T-shirt. No, no console. He so, saved uh, so much tabletop space. <laughs> he did. What will he do with it? But I'm a little bit worried about his uh, his 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 uh his well-being so we'll see how that changes gamers but i am excited about the streaming service we'll see how that goes um this print is available right now at my patreon if you go to my patreon patreon.com forward slash len uh five dollar patrons get this right now it's there or you can go the traditional way and just get it from my online store very cool len also thanks to trisha hershberger for being with us this fine friday trisha let folks know where they can keep up with all your latest work oh my goodness thank you guys so much for having me this is always such a joy uh people can find me online at that grl trish so it's like that girl trish but minus the i in girl and that's on facebook twitter and instagram or you can find me on youtube or twitch slash trisha hershberger Excellent. Folks, we like to wear hats on Fridays. If you watch our video, you see that. We even do a vote in our Discord about which hat I'm going to wear. You should also wear hats. And if you're like, I don't have a hat. Where do I find a hat? I want a DTNS hat. You've got options. We've got a DTNS baseball hat and a DTNS stocking cap, aka toque, aka beanie, whatever you call it. It's there. Go right now and buy one at dailytechnewsshow.com slash store. If you have feedback for us, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We are live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Mark it down on your calendar and join us if you can. And find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. We'll stop wondering and start talking about the Apple announcement Monday. See you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. 
hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.